This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 7, Legacy Number 294. I'm Ian, and with me I have my co-hosts... This is Steph. And this is Donald. And as you can hear, we have our brand new co-host, Donald. Um, so, let's ask our standard questions. Who are you, Donald? Uh, hey guys, I'm Donald Townsend. I have been a Batman fan for most of my life. I am currently working as a mailman in Belfont, Pennsylvania. And are you delivering comics to the good people of Pennsylvania? Oh, actually, that that's that's interesting. I'm, I remember when I first started as a mailman about 10 years ago. That used to be a thing. I, I remember delivering um, mostly Marvel comics to, uh, to little children at their houses. And I thought that was a cool uh, little thing because I had done that for a brief time when I first started collecting comics. But no, um, at least in the area where I am, I, I don't really see that as much. I guess we'll see if that changes in the recent future, but that's a cool little story. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you become a Batman Universe fan, both the Batman Universe comics and our Batman Universe site? All right. As um, I guess many people my age and maybe slightly younger, um, Batman 89 was a huge thing. Uh, I didn't get to see it in movie theaters. Uh, my family was never really, uh, we really never had the funds to go out to the movies, but my father rented it on a VHS tape. And I remember just being plopped in front of the TV. And for the first time in my life, I just kind of lost myself in, in that movie. And a um, few weeks later, my, we were at a, uh, a chain store. It's probably like a Kmart or something. And there were these packets of, of comic books, like five for you know, $10 or whatever it was. And there were Batman comics in there. And I just ate them up. And uh, I got hooked. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, my, my father also told me that there had been this great show that he used to watch as a kid um, in the 60s. And so I was so excited to watch it. And uh, when he placed me in front of that TV, I had a far different reaction because it was definitely not what, was I, what I was expecting. <laughs> so that almost ruined it for me but uh luckily the comics uh drew me in well if you um were a batman 89 kid uh did you watch the animated series i mean that'd be about the same time for those children absolutely yes uh, i think that came around um batman returns which is my favorite of of that four series uh, uh movie series set 
Um, but yeah, every day after school, it would just happen to be on uh, right after Animaniacs, I believe. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was good at its time, but I didn't realize how well made it was until I recently started watching it with my son Tristan, and we're watching it from front to back in order, and you pick up on the arcs, the overarching arcs that last over every season, and um, and how well the story actually plays out through that entire series and how well thought out uh, each arc becomes. I, I actually kind of fell in love with Clayface through the <laughs> second watching. That is an excellent story, and I'm going to sort of spring a surprise question. Are you excited about Batman The Adventures Continue by Paul Dini and Alan Grant that's coming out soon? Yes. Anything that Paul Dini does, I, I'm excited about. Yeah, he's he's one of the great writers, and I'm so glad that he's doing more comics. I wish he was more regular, but even when he was doing a lot of comics back in 2010, he tended to be every other issue. I don't think he can do really a monthly series. But he's he's just such a polished writer. Every story has its arcs, and it feeds into overarching themes and great characterization. It's, it's going to be good. Oh, absolutely. Um, how'd you hear about the Batman Universe site? Um... I bought a smartphone and I was playing around with the uh, the podcast app and Batman was one of my first choices and I looked and uh, Bat- the Batman universe was actually the, the top um, suggestion for me. So I started listening and uh, again, I was just kind of hooked. I, uh, I believe it was Dustin and Ed at the time uh, with Stella as well. And it it was just it was perfect the camaraderie that those three had and the passion yeah. for uh, the series even though at the time it was um the new 52 that uh, the passion was there obviously um unfortunately some a lot of it for for great reason was negative but um i i jumped on board with with all of that and um then when they had a, a an open call to have comic book reviewers i i wanted so badly to try to take part in that and uh of course that dug me deeper in well we're very glad to have you as part of the site and we uh really appreciate i think you're on uh, batman beyond and are you on nightwing uh yeah nightwing's been a recent addition to me yeah and that's actually ramping up for the joker war stuff I, i've actually been really enjoying that so everyone should definitely check out your reviews on the site um, what are you excited? I mean, we've already talked a little bit about the Batman adventure continues, but what are you excited about um, that's coming out in the comics in the next year or so? Uh, I actually try to stay away from um, solicits if possible. I, I love being in the moment for them. So I, I'm um, I'm actually most excited about Bat and Cat. You know, uh, I, I really enjoyed the Tom King run as it came um, as it went along. And I love James Tynion as well. But there is a little bit of um, a, a jarring sensation between those two writers. I, I enjoy them both greatly, but um, I kind of miss Tom King right now. So I'm really looking forward to Bat and Cat. Did you check out uh, Strange Adventures? I'm going to. Uh, I want to collect that in, uh, in the trade paperback form. I have so many boxes of comics downstairs in my basement right now. So I'm trying to build up my bookcases with uh, trade paperbacks of 
um, more of these mini adventures. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, Tom King very much reads well as a collection, so I sympathize with that. And um, so you've already sort of answered this, but how until recently did you collect your comics digitally hard copy through a store or a mail order service um mostly through a store um when i was younger my father would pick me up every other weekend and when he did i would take a stash of cash with me and uh, i'd make him take me to the to the comic book store um order didn't mean as much to me back then because i didn't realize that they were uh, i didn't realize what continuity was i was still very new uh, to the idea until nightfall uh, until I started collecting nightfall. And then, uh, I was doing everything I could to get every back issue. <laughs> and while I was doing that, uh, I remember they, they used to have like a little page ad of, of having them delivered to your home. And I thought that was the coolest thing too. So while I was get, getting back issues, I also talked my, uh, my mother, uh, to get me a subscription to a few of the bat titles. Uh, and it was a great time, too. There was a Batman Detective Comics, and I loved Shadow of the Bat especially. was my favorite at that time. And then uh, eventually Robin, which then also became one of my top favorites. That uh, was a real mostly, heyday mostly for the Bat books, I would say. It's the mid-90s. Oh, absolutely. Chuck Dixon did everything. He got no sleep. <laughs> uh, but mostly I, I actually enjoy going to the brick and mortars. That, that's my preferred method of um of getting my books all right well thank you donald for joining us and we're gonna jump into our comic reviews starting with batman number 91 written by james tynan drawn by jorge jimenez uh rafael albuquerque and carlo pagulayan at, at a rooftop bar in gotham city Joker tells his side of the story as to how Penguin, Riddler, Catwoman, and himself met the designer. As he doodles on bar napkins, the Joker relays how each villain helped concoct a plan, which led them to receiving marching orders from the designer to fulfill these plans. The true purpose, according to Joker, wasn't to help foster these villains' careers and tap into their true potential. It was to clear out criminal opposition and hand over Gotham City to the designer. In time, it was the jester's turn, and the devil asked him what he wanted more than anything in the world, the joker said. And the jester said to him, I want to be the devil. And then he killed him. After the recap ends, the bartender asks the joker while he told them this story. Joker says he wants the bartender to know the context for this evening's entertainment, so he'll get the joke. He then gets up, asks for a phone, and calls Punchline to make sure everything is in place. Across Gotham, Deathstroke fends off the bat spawn. Batman's drone army. As Batman closes in on Deathstroke's location via the Batwing, he orders Lucius to call them off. The Batwing then descends on Deathstroke and Slade responds by jabbing his sword through its windshield. At Riddler's compound, Catwoman and Harley check on the captured assassins. Much to their dismay, the assassins are gone. Television screens light up around them, and the designer informs the duo that he's taken the assassins off the board. He tells Catwoman and Harley that the real games are about to begin, noting that Catwoman played her part perfectly in driving Batman insane. After the designer finishes talking, a bunch of mind-controlled GCPT officers burst through the door. Across Gotham, Batman and Deathstroke exchange blows atop the Batwing. 
During the fight, Batman argues about the escalation between himself and the criminals of Gotham City. He rages about how he constantly needs to construct bigger and more frightening weapons to keep criminals from harming the citizens of Gotham. Deathstroke retorts by arguing that Batman escalated first. Batman leaps into Deathstroke and the two tumble down towards the pavement. Batman demands that Deathstroke tell him where the designer is hiding or they'll both die. At the Riddler's compound, Catwoman rigs the base to explode if one of the designer's mind-controlled goons steps on the wrong tiles on the floor. One does, and she then pulls Parley away from the fight. The two nearly escape from the exploding compound. On the streets of Gotham, Harley and Catwoman dust themselves off. Catwoman tells Harley that she gave the designer details on how to rob everyone blind, but she's resolved to do it before he can. Deathstroke tells Batman that he doesn't know where the designer is. Batman uses his bat grapple to prevent them from pummeling onto the asphalt. As the two assume fighting stances, a nearby video screen comes to life with the designer's face. As the villain taunts Batman, he responds by demanding they square off face to face. Riddler then steps forward from behind the designer. Now that wouldn't be fair, Riddler says. I haven't had my turn to play. So, let's start off with a perhaps superficial question, but as I pointed out at the beginning, this issue had three different artists. The main artist for this um, section, Jorge Jimenez, um, one of Tynan's longtime collaborators, he worked with him in his backups for Batman way back at the beginning of the New 52, Raphael Albuquerque, who also did a lot of um, American Vampire with Scott Snyder, and he also did variant covers for Tynan's entire Detective Comics run. That's a lot of variant covers. Um, and he also has the fill-in artist, Carlo Pagulayan, who did uh, large chunks of two issues ago and also did a lot of the Deathstroke series with Christopher Priest. Did you notice the difference in art styles or did it feel really coherent? And what are your thoughts on that situation? Well, the Joker, because I'm guessing it's the Joker scene, the Catwoman scenes, and the Batman scenes are all the different artists, right? That was my reading, yes. Yeah. So the Joker one kind of fits because he is in this kind of like grotesque evil mood. So even though I felt like that was the most obviously different, it didn't jar me as much just because Joker is so jarring. It seemed to match. And then I almost didn't notice it between the Batman and Catwoman stuff because people tend to draw women differently than men, (laughs) even when it's the same artist. So I almost, other than like the, the shading on Batman's, and and Deathstroke's face, like the way shading was done, was completely different. Other than that, I really didn't see anything that really struck me as like a huge difference between the two. Um, yeah, I I'm in agreement there. I didn't even realize that until the question was brought up. And I'm looking at the physical copy right now. And with me though, um, now that I'm looking deeper, to me the Catwoman Harley scenes seem just a tad different. And I'm mostly looking at the the clothing, they seem to be a little bit more, they seem to hold, reflect light better. Looking back at the Joker and Batman and the other scenes, uh, they, they seem to cast uh, light a l- little bit of a muted tone. But no, um, I initially did not catch any difference, really. It seems very fluid to me. Yeah, I would agree that they, they managed to fit things together nicely. Um, largely, I think, because... 
uh, they use the same color as Tomu More, who does a really excellent job at blending the different styles. Now, I happen to be a really big fan of all of these artists, so I did recognize the differences just because I like seeing their styles, and I was like, oh, that's Peggy Lynn, and that's um, Albuquerque. He's definitely got a more painterly style than the other two who have much more line-heavy style. Um, I do want to ask a, a silly question. <laughs> we have our third artist drawing the designer. Does he look any better now, Steph? <laughs> oh, golly. Well, I mean, we only get a torso shot, right? Or is there a, is there a bigger shot of him? I uh, believe it's only a torso shot and a, and a head shot. He doesn't look as detailed. Like, he's only got two strings of short beads. <laughs> yeah, that's because he's drawn by Albuquerque, who, as I said, is a more painterly rather than line-heavy yeah. guy. Those it's it's still silly. It's not being able to see his pants, I guess, helps. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with the pants. Uh, he does look <laughs> a a bit more robust, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that is the only time we see the pants is uh, at the beginning when Joker is just drawing um, the characters, and even then the the pants look silly, even though it's a black and white sheet. We have a lot of villains here, um, but I'd say didn't answer the question. Oh, well, I think he looks silly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't I I don't want to say he's growing on me, but I don't think he looks nearly as silly as he did the first time he appeared. I definitely think he looks better than that first time, but it's still just not the greatest design. Um. We, okay, so we do have three villains that get the bulk of the time here. We've got Joker, Deathstroke, and the Designer. Uh, I'd say the Riddler's probably going to be the big villain in the next issue. Um, which of these three do you find most interesting, uh, and why? Um, well, I think... I don't remember... I don't think I said anything, but in my head... Because I was reading Deathstroke a little bit when they had the whole Damien arc. And what I my takeaway from that is he's not like evil. Like he has Deathstroke, not Damien. Deathstroke has has some depth, and he is a paid assassin. So like if his money dries up, if if his 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 uh, boss whatever flakes out or gives up on him or whatever, he's out of a job and he has no loyalties. Right. So I was kind of predicting that. Joker and Deathstroke would team up in my head. I didn't say it out loud, so no bonus points for me. But um, I was—I thought that was fun, and I thought that was an interesting way to go. That that the villain would pair up with with Batman just for the sake of survival. I don't know how long it's going to last, but um, I thought that was fun, and I I appreciated that the little twist at the end. Um. Yeah. Um. As far as me, as as far as this issue goes. I was most interested in the Joker scene. I liked Joker as sort of narrator in, in this, in the way that he explains it. I think he was, it was written really well. And so that was my, uh, I think, highlight of, of this issue. I think the designer is interesting the less we know about him. <laughs> I worried that uh, we're going to find out more and then he might end up starting to match his clothes a little bit harsh but fair (laughs) yes 
Uh, Deathstroke. Um, now that you've asked this question, I, I hadn't really thought about it, um, but he seems to just kind of see the world and he doesn't really give a damn. And that I think that actually makes him interesting because he he sees through all the the BS that everyone is is fighting through, uh, including apparently Batman, and he calls him out on it. And I think that's an interesting take on the villain as well. I definitely agree. Um, I I read the uh, the Deathstroke run all the way through, and it was my favorite title for that last year um, that it was running. And I think that Tynan does a really good job of capturing that cynicism and that um, he, he's not a mustache twirling villain. He doesn't enjoy hurting people. He, he has a job. That job happens to be killing people and he does it and that's it, which is clearly a villainous thing. He's not a good person, but he's not <laughs> someone who's going to be like getting his rocks off, torturing children or something. Um, I agree with, uh, Donald. I, I mean, I wish I could be the person who's like, oh yes. And my favorite was the designer, but I'm <laughs> sorry. He's not, <laughs> uh, I don't like the Joker, but, um, it's interesting to me comparing what James Tynan does as a student of Scott Snyder, but he has his own voice at this point. There are some things he does that are clearly influenced by Snyder. And I say this is definitely influenced by Snyder's Joker in Death of the Family and Endgame, but th there's a poetry to it. Snyder's poetry has always been a little weak to me. Like if you listen to the uh, Court of Owls rhyme, it does not scan well, and uh, it it is not the kind of thing I could hear children chanting, which I think is a failure in construction. But the way um, Tynan writes that little... Uh, capping to his monologue where he's like, and then the devil asked the jester what he wanted. And the jester said, I want to be the devil. Like that's really poetic. It's got a rhythm to it. And it's very Tynan. And I think that's Tynan at his best, just capturing that sort of evil poetry of the Joker. And so I, I gotta go with that. And the fact that it's Jorge Jimenez doing the art with its really extreme lines and, and beautiful shapes that are in it is, is a big plus. So Definitely going to give it to the Joker for this issue in terms of the most interesting. Um, my my last question is: We've been monitoring uh, the state of Selena and Bruce's relationship because, of course, that was the main, I would say, emotional through line of Tom King's run, and so obviously it has to carry over to James Tynan's run. But he is a different writer and has a different take on them. So what? is your take on where Selena and Bruce are in this issue? Well, I mean, we got to remember, this is still the same night. Like we have not moved on more than maybe a couple of hours <laughs> since Tanya's run began. Um, so that's a little, I don't want to say unfair, but I think it's interesting seeing them working together, even though they're not together. Like how, how is she behaving and showing her loyalty while not working directly with him. Like what are the choices she's making? And so it sounds like she's going to try to outwit the designer to save, you know, whoever got some Bruce's fortune, Bruce, whatever, um, to do the right thing basically. And so I think her 
I don't want to say she's doing the right thing for him, but he probably was a big contributor to her stopping being a thief. If you're not reading the Catwoman run, <laughs> um, so I think it's I think it's it's healthy. Like it's not a oogly googly. I need to be with you always. You know, they're not in the beginning of their relationship. This is just I think where a, a healthy couple that works together in a professional environment um, should be. So I'm, I'm content where, with what Tynion is doing. Oh, I'm, I was just going to really just kind of agree with you there. It is far more professional in the, in this run. Uh, you know, I, I do uh, appreciate um, their relationship in King's run, but yeah, this is them almost uh, after like a honeymoon period and they're, They've settled in and they are working as a compatible unit. I agree. And I also really like the little line that Selena throws in. The designer's going to steal everything from Bruce Wayne, but I'm going to steal it first. Like that's the kind of sort of bravado. And I used to be a villain, but now I'm working for the good side that I, I like seeing about Selena. I think it's, it's a really nice moment. So I'm very pleased with that, even though it was a huge focus for the issue. Uh, let's get to our ratings. Uh, Steph, what do you give this out of five Batarangs? I really liked it. Like, it wasn't crazy, but I think for a middle-of-the-arc story, that like, they did a good job of moving a few things forward, giving characters a few interesting things to do and say art was great. Um, I would say four out of five. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm going to give it a four out of five. The, the art is amazing, and I appreciate the depth that these characters have um, have gotten in this issue. So four out of five for me. I think in terms of a pure issue enjoyment, I would say a four out of five for the art and the writing. I'm kind of... This is a little disappointing to admit, but I'm kind of feeling like as an overall arc, this is going to be a little less than some of its parts, interestingly, um, because I don't think the designer is super interesting and he's clearly supposed to be the hook of the arc. And it's not really saying a whole lot about Batman yet after Tom King just spent the last uh, 35 issues of his run just really hammering home the philosophy of Batman and really delving deep into what makes Bruce Bruce and can he change and how can he change and still be Batman this is much more individual comics every two weeks really enjoyable stuff so in terms of the enjoyable stuff 4 out of 5 in terms of overall arc I'm probably leaning more towards 3 out of 5 but that we won't know for sure until I think 93 or 94 when the arc wraps up. Um, over on the website, uh, Scott gave Batman number 91 a four and a half out of five, which gives this issue a four out of five overall score from our review team. Let's move on to Detective Comics. <laughs> Detective Comics number 1021, author Peter Tomasi, author Brad Walker. Batman continues to look over the scene at the urgent care clinic where he took down Two-Face's goons. He's still unsure what Harvey could have planned, but he's determined to find out. At the same time, Two-Face continues to preach to his congregation on the way of the coin. As he continues his sermon, a headache hits and distracts him. He flips the coin and it comes up unscarred. 
Harvey tells the flock to protect and serve Gotham, in which they are more than happy to oblige, if only for one night before their true intentions are revealed. Batman shows up at the office of the Gotham medical examiner, and after startling the coroner, asks to examine the bodies of two faces henchmen. He takes some skin samples from each and heads back to the Batcave, where analysis shows each member having a criminal record. He also finds another common link. They all have cancer. This link, he determines, is why criminals with rap sheets would follow Harvey to the point where they would take their own lives for him. Further analysis shows that each of the dead men crossed path with Gotham's courthouse. This is where Batman heads next. As soon as he clears the waterfall masking the entrance to the Batcave, he comes to a complete stop. Standing in front of him and calling out Bruce is Harvey Dent. Batman approaches Harvey and asks him about his plans for Gotham. Harvey explains the battle going on in his head, that the most minute of things now causes him to flip the coin. As he speaks, another headache hits him. These spikes have him feeling like he's someone's puppet. He asks Bruce to help him. Bruce decrees that he will help Harvey by returning him to Arkham Asylum. He tells Dent to get in the car and cuffs him. As they drive down towards Arkham, Harvey tells Bruce of some of the mental battles he's encountered, specifically keeping Bruce's identity secret from others, including Two-Face. He now feels he's losing the battle and that he won't be able to keep it the secret from Two-Face much longer. As Harvey anguishes to talk, blood begins to slowly ooze from a wound in his head. Batman encourages his friend to hold on and fight. The Batmobile comes to a stop, not at Arkham Asylum, but in front of the Gotham Courthouse. Confused, Harvey asks Batman why they aren't going to Arkham. Batman is determined to find out what Two-Face is up to, and he feels the answers are in the courthouse. Batman locks Harvey in the Batmobile and takes off towards the courthouse. Alone and shackled in the Batmobile, Harvey begins to anguish more. He doesn't need to be locked up because he too can save Gotham while leading his disciples in whatever way he deems. He begins pounding his shackled fists against the frame of the Batmobile. Two-Face can be controlled. With one last urge with his feet, Harvey causes a blast within the Batmobile. At the same time, Batman is making his way through the courthouse using schematics sent to his cowl from the Batcomputer. Batman heads down to a hidden basement. Little does Batman know that while he's continuing his investigation of the courthouse back in the Batmobile, Two-Face has once again taken over and replaced Harvey. Two-Face figures that if Harvey was shackled in the Batmobile, that Batman isn't far behind either. With his head wounds starting to bleed more, Two-Face takes off in pursuit of his enemy. As Batman reaches the bottom level of the courthouse, he observes lit torches leading to a large wooden door. He opens it to find Two-Face's disciples chanting in worship. The room goes silent as the sound of a coin flip echoes through the chamber. Batman turns to find himself face to face, no pun intended, with Two-Face holding the coin Guard side up. Two-Face is also holding a gun, which he fires, leaving Batman riddled with bullets in the chest and cowl. Um, so I liked this better than the previous issue. Mm-hmm. Did you guys like this better than the previous issue? I, I certainly did. It, um, while the cold is still around it was far less focused on and i think uh that made the story far more interesting um i do have a question though like was harvey ubered outside of the bat cave like (laughs) right there on foot just standing outside of of the bat cave i don't know maybe he has a two-faced mobile (laughs) i don't know 
I I would say that I probably had the same amount of non-enjoyment from both issues. (laughs) I just... This is not the type of two-faced conflict that I find terribly interesting. My favorite two-faced stories tend to be by Greg Rucka when he wrote two-faced as having attachments to people other than Batman, usually either Renee Montoya or Jim Gordon in No Man's Land. And... Harvey conflicted about his relationship with Bruce is just less interesting to me um, because I've been really mourning the lack of civilian or non-costumed characters recently. And we really don't get much of that, especially if you contract the focus and just say, oh, well, Harvey's conflict is about Batman. So we only have two characters instead of three or four. Um, I'm also just not... I hate saying this because I think Brad Walker's a really nice guy on Twitter and he's got a real eye for design and, and stuff, but I don't like the way he's drawing Batman. It's a weird blend of very dark, but also very cartoony that just sort of jars in my mind. Just not for me. So my first, my, what was originally my first question, (laughs) um, which kind of relates to what you were saying a little bit. Historically has Harvey always known who Batman really is and have the two sides of Harvey always been able to keep secrets from each other. So I'm, I, I don't know how I can speak to this fully because um, I, I don't know the entire history, but it seems like from my memory, this seems like a continuation of uh, Scott Snyder's all-star Batman's version of, of Two-Face. I believe that's when there was an acknowledgement that, that Harvey knew Batman and Bruce were one and the same. But other than that, I, I don't have any recollection of him ever knowing who Batman is. I concur. I also am not a fan of villains really knowing i'm kind of dreading the upcoming parts of joker war where he does know Mm -hmm. because to me the interesting thing about a secret identity is the impact it has on your loved ones and at this point there aren't that many loved ones who don't also have secret identities so it doesn't really matter that much i'd rather the secret identity just be assumed um the idea that Harvey could keep secrets from Two-Face and vice versa. Now, I know Harvey's never been a realistic depiction of mental illness, but that just seems too convenient to me, and it just sort of bothered me in terms of a plot point. Because so. I've always thought of it, I mean, and you know, who am I? But I've always thought of it as that, that Harvey is like a side not Harvey. Two Face is a side of Harvey. Like he's he's part of him. So I guess I don't know enough about multiple personality disorder to say that you can or can't keep, keep secrets. But it just seems a little weird that you'd be thinking something and then your other personalities wouldn't know what you were thinking. It's a little weird. Um, despite the art and the quality of the story, do you? appreciate or like where the story is headed? Uh, I guess, sorry, sorry, what I guess I was going with that question is when the last issue, I just disliked it 
so much. And, and it actually went in a direction that I kind of had hoped it would, which is Harvey might be controlled by a, a, a third party, which would be interesting, possibly. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. And um, as long as they're taking the focus off of the whole cult thing, I, I'm all for that. But yeah, um, at, at least in my opinion, it it is getting better. This uh, conflict is with Two Face, with himself, and with Bruce Batman. It's far more interesting to me um, than any other parts of the story, to be honest. As I said, I mean, these two issues just kind of fall like lead bricks for me. Um, I. It is not as painfully stupid as the uh, James Robinson run with Two-Face, but that's a very low bar to clear. Um, I hope it's good, but it's it's just not hitting the higher parts that the Tomasi has hit previously in things like the um, the Joker one-shot or the, the Freeze arc or there's another arc. I was, oh, the... Um, the island arc. I feel like all those were, were more interesting to me than this one. And so I guess my last question is going to be a bit of a downer, but so the first time I sort of read through it, it was decently quick. Actually, you know, I, I was like, this is decent. This is pretty good. But the more I think about what's going on, the more I get a little disappointed by the lack of attention to details. I mean, just like, um, just like you said, uh, the how did he get there? Did he take an Uber to the Batcave? Like how did how did Harvey get there? Or like his friend is bleeding from his head and is also suffering. But instead of taking Two Face to the hospital, Batman is going to make a pit stop at the courthouse. Why you need to you need to take your friend to the hospital? <laughs> or um. Why is there a secret room with an entire cult hanging out in the courthouse and no one in the courthouse has ever noticed <laughs> this before? Like, and the more I started thinking about these details, the less I really started to appreciate the issue. So like on the surface level, yeah, this is fun. But the more you, oh golly, the more you think about it, the more issues that come up. Did you guys find that that was a thing or did Ian, you just hate it from the get go? <laughs> Oh, um, well, I, I absolutely noticed the details as well. And also, a, a, you know, a continuity issue. I believe at one point, um, when Two-Face sends his cult out, I believe they, they capture Catwoman. Yeah, well, and yeah. Penguin, who are busy right now, I guess Batman. Right, I mean, especially <laughs> Catwoman in, in my eyes. That's, a, that's quite a get uh, from, from other stories we're getting. But yeah, I totally agree. The details seem to be a little Oh, off. and then he's like, oh, the one thing they have in common is the courthouse. Well, yes, if they were arrested and it's in the books that they were criminals, yes, they would have gone to the courthouse. That's how <laughs> that works. So that was another thing. I was like, <laughs> I, um, no, I, I think my problem is that that level of detail just sort of stuck out to me in terms of just not as polished in terms of craftsmanship as it could have been. Mm. So I just had that reaction from the start. 
Right. Did you want to talk about the art or are you guys okay not talking about the art? Um, I actually really like the art, but Ian, Ian is right with Bat- specifically Batman. And now I'm looking through it again. And I, it's really just Batman that I, seems to have that weird cartoony feeling. Um, everything else seems to be too good. I, I love the way Two-Face is drawn. I That's a really the, good point, actually, yeah. Yeah, the, the backgrounds, the deep, there is so much detail. But yeah, you're, you're right. Batman specifically is very off. Too much definition to his abs. It's like his abs have abs. It was. <laughs> Does he have seven abs? <laughs> well, no. Like all the abs are really crinkly. Like I don't understand. No, I was just making a what do you call it? Oh, Lego Batman joke. Lego Batman. He has a ninth ab right in the middle. <laughs> um. Yeah, that. I mean, I basically already said what I I feel about the the art. I think. <laughs> Right. My last question. Do you think there is a puppet master or do you think it's just Two-Face messing with Harvey? Or is it something else? It doesn't have to be one of those two. It could just be migraines. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, it never occurred to me that there could be a third. I, I just assumed it was, uh, you know, an internal conflict with, within himself. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, though. Um, maybe Psycho Pirate will be brought back. <gasps> yes, that would make this more interesting. <laughs> you know, I was joking at first, but yeah, I, I think that would be actually. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I know the answer to this question. So, oh, no. out of respect <laughs> to uh, Donald avoiding solicits, I am going to refrain from answering. But check the solicits for the end of this arc that are coming in June, and you will know the answer. <laughs> so sad like they don't care about this story enough that they won't even keep it secret and solicits like that just shows what even the publisher thinks of the story it's like let's just give it away it doesn't matter right i don't know oh one more thing about the art <laughs> uh, what specifically uh um bothers me about batman um there are a few close-ups on his face and his the the white the eyes the, in his uh cowl the, the i guess the visor they are too detailed and i i almost wonder if there's supposed to be pupils behind there you know just kind of wide it out and i my my focus is too much drawn to those scenes and it just it just comes across as silly oh yeah i, I was thinking they were like reflections but yeah I, like... I thought so too but they they're they're too circular at least at least in my eyes, but maybe they're like the well, they glow, right? So maybe those are just giant light bulbs. <laughs> 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 so, what are we going to rate these? Um, mm. <laughs> it, it's, it is better than the last one. Uh, I, I do like the art for the most part. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a three and a half. I think the more I started thinking about the details, the more stupid it got. And so I, a three, I'll give it a three. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a three over on the website. Theo gave it a 2.5 out of five. So this gives Batman detective comics number 1021, an overall rating of three out of five batarangs. Moving on to our listener feedback. Sorry to interrupt, Master Booth. Ringing your phone now. 
This needs my attention. We have a new member on our Discord, Wills, who is a longtime listener, first-time Discorder. So thank you for joining. And he left us a very nice comment with the hashtag mailbag, which you can send either on Twitter or on our Discord when we have some really good conversations. And uh, if you're stuck inside, now's a good time to join our community. Go ahead, Stefan. Read us our comment. So just finished listening to Season 12, Episode 5, and the discussion about Joker. From watching Nicholson play the Joker in the 89 films to discovering the characters in the comics, I do enjoy his encounters with Batman, even though the encounters cause problems within the books and for fans of Batman. As powerful as the killing joke is, the horror of what Barbara Gordon goes through still leaves a bad taste for any reader. As powerful as Death of and Death in the Family were, they were also brutal books that split the Bat family and continue a legacy to this day. No other character seems to have this impact, and it seems to me like DC used the Joker to accomplish these powerful moments. At the same time, utilizing other villains would be refreshing, but apart from Court of Owls, which they then spoiled by oversaturating afterwards, no villain seems to have the power of the Joker to destabilize and affect Batman slash Bruce. I constantly hear your calls for new villains or something beyond the Joker, and I feel that would be good, but is it possible when DC don't develop villains properly or discard them without further mentioning again? Secondly, what would be a good enemy for Batman to face? He has faced everyone and one. He has faced his family. He has faced himself. Where do you go then next? <laughs> That's a really excellent question, Wells. I would say that... Um... The problem with inventing new villains, especially after 80 years of history in which his most famous villain um, is the Joker and is just as old as Batman. I mean, we have the 80th anniversary celebration of Batman last year, and we're having the 80th anniversary of Joker this year. We're also having 80th anniversary of Robin and Catwoman. So clearly these characters have been around a really long time and have lasted for a reason. If you try to replace those, you're going to end up with characters who tend to be more derivative. And I would point out um, the designer as an example of that. His design is very similar to the design of uh, the first victim from James Tynan's Detective Comics run. His modus operandi is basically exactly the same as Professor Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. And his costume, I suppose, is the most unique thing because he's a goofy weirdo. Um, and you've seen in things like Jeff Johns inventing two different versions of the Joker for his Doomsday Clock. Um, and he's, he's doing three Jokers. So I, I am not convinced that DC can invent new villains, even if they try. And I know they are trying because James Stein is doing this whole punchline thing. We don't have any character off of her, so we don't really know if that's going to take off or if it's going to be interesting at all. She just has a cool design. I, I've said this a lot of times, and I know that people don't find it particularly compelling, but if you're not willing to accept a certain amount of repetition and a certain amount of lack of resolution in comics, then reading mainstream Batman comics is not going to be for you because he's going to fight the same villains and he's never going to stop being Batman. So that's just the way it's going to be. And if you can find the good parts of that, then you can have a great time as I have for, you know, 15 years reading Batman comics and Dustin has for longer than that. And 
many people have for, you know, like Chris has read for, you know, 40 or 50 years. But some people don't enjoy that, and that's fine. Um, if you if you get enjoyment of the Batman universe for a short amount of time, and then you find yourself finding other comics, like uh, the Indian independent comics like Sandman or Saga or whatever, more power to you. But at the Batman universe, I think that we, we embrace a certain amount of repetition just because that's the nature of what we, we love. And we're, we're familiar with it, and we like seeing the little twists that each writer brings to it. Anyone else have some thoughts on that? Well, this is more of a, I don't know, dovetail <laughs> spiral. But have, I think it was someone else was saying something on the Discord that made me start thinking about like character development, character, like how, how interesting a villain is. And so... And so it's like you were saying, like, we've had this huge, rich history of, of Batman that the villains that, that did make it as interesting, not necessarily, you know, changing the the Batman family as much, but, or, or the, the status quo, that's the word I'm looking for, like, like Joker does, but like you have, you have Catwoman who was a villain, but because they delved into her character and they wanted you to like her and she, you know to to last longer she she's now become the bat family and even before you know she was on again off again you never knew was she going to be good this time was she going to you know fend for herself and but event like if you you have to keep sort of developing your characters and so she she changed you have Harley Quinn who started as a villain as Joker's girlfriend she's been so popular for so long now she's you know, more on the good side and fighting for, for the common man or whatever. And so I feel like the, the villains that have made it have to be likable to some degree. Like you have to have an understanding of their character and, and appreciate them. And in that way, they can't be truly horrible, awful, disgusting, gross human beings, because then you won't like them as much. You won't want to see them. I feel personally, this is just me. And so when you have Joker, who who's part of his character is we don't know who this guy is. We don't know his story. That's why killing one of the reasons killing joke was so interesting is you get a potential background of his character. And that's why people are freaking out about the three Jokers is, oh, my goodness, not only do we not know his history, he might have three histories, <gasps> you know. But because we know so little about him and that's part of his mystique, he can last longer. And he can get away with more because we don't care who he is as a person. And there's only so many villains I feel like you can do that with before it becomes, well, he's just another Joker. Well, you're just copying Joker now. Because you want, I, I just feel like you need to connect with a character, whether they're a villain or not. And that the evil mustache twirling one-dimensional villains are the ones that get shelved and never used again. And that's why we have hundreds and hundreds of villains that no one remembers. Hashtag bring Carpenter back. <laughs> that's my rant. I'm done. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, um, I, I agree with, I, there's really nothing I can add to, to those, uh, both of you, um, that was well said. Um, the development is super important. Joker started out, well, I guess in the 40s he started out as a, as a murderer, but then he was <laughs> kind of, you know, clowned up and became a silly character. And over time, as the years have, 
have progressed, writers became more serious about the stories and uh, uh, about the character development. And now he is this, this sort of, he can be presented as this, almost this antichrist figure. And that, that's who he is in, in, the, uh, in this universe. And, and this, this, um, the designer, I'm sorry, the designer, the idea of him, he can't possibly match up to what Joker has been hyped up to now. So it is very difficult to, to try to, to, to make that, that sort of Im- impact. Um, this, this punchline character who's you know, been um, hyped up as well. It seems like because she's associated with a Joker and, you know, kind of a backup Harley Quinn, it, it to, at least in my opinion, it kind of deflates the idea of who she could possibly be. Just a darker Harley Quinn is, is what I'm seeing. And then who's going to want that? People are going to, I mean, in prediction, my future, my future vision here of, of, blatant ignorance is is that people are probably going to write her off as a harley knockoff and mm-hmm. no one's going to care i agree and i think if you look at harley's evolution there was a time at the beginning of the new 52 that they did try and make her darker i mean she murdered children mm-hmm. which is no longer in continuity as far as i know but um there there was that that attempt to make her dark and edgy. And I think punchline is going to suffer the same fate and either she's going to become a more sympathetic character and not do those kinds of things that make her different. And she'll just be a Harley knockoff or she'll be so unpleasant that people will just be like, Oh, why would I use her? There's only a couple of stories I can tell and they're really nasty and don't sell as well. So uh, that was a great question. Thank you, Wills. And uh, welcome again to the discord. Anyone can, tag hashtag mailbag in our discord server or on twitter and we'll be happy to answer those questions or have a little discussion as we did here Um, we are still looking for guest hosts and guest co-hosts like donald and theo and scott and um, we would love to have that or you can become a reviewer like donald and i are on the website Uh, just give us a, a shout out on twitter or send us an email in the show notes um, we do want to thank our patrons and supporters through one-time donations. Uh, those are on our website, and I'll read out our list here. It's Gerald Green, Donald Townsend, Tim Grassi, Captain America, Corinnas, Mar- Mary Garrett, Real No Deuces, Stanton's Grave, Brendan Roberts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Ed Grouse, Rob O, Ian Miller, Arturo Juarez, Stephanie Mounts, Joshua Lappenbertoni, Hannah Gar and Johnny McCloskey. Thank you, everyone, who's donated and helped keep the lights on on our Batman Universe server. This is the third and final episode for the month of March. Uh, the comics are going to be in a different place come next month because of Diamond's stopping shipping. But we have not heard from DC that we're going to stop. So we will be here to give you news on digital and other comics that come out and we hope to see you next time, hopefully healthy in this time of illness. This has been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Donald. And thanks for listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you next time.